It's an interesting um, section of verses we come to this morning, beginning at verse 8 through 10. Uh, Straightforward, yet some of the words are uh, very impactful when you slow down. Uh, We just come out of verse 7, which tells us to pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And now we come to verse 8. Let's listen to the word of God. It says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not uh, commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, You shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. It's interesting because as you think of a New Testament context, when I read that, and it talks twice in these few verses about fulfilling the law, you have to wonder, Why does that matter? I thought Jesus fulfilled the law. And how is it that loving my neighbor and that being an ongoing debt, it seems to be, that that is fulfilling of the law? Verse 8 begins by saying, no, owe no one anything. Not like some people, you, you can owe or you can owe them something. But here's the reality. This does not mean that you cannot be indebted or take a mortgage or, or even um, take a loan from someone, because Jesus speaks of uh, people who take loans all the time, but he just says, make sure you pay it back. Make sure it's paid back in due time. So, uh, oh, no one anything means don't take and never pay back. Uh, And so, the NIV uh, has actually a really good translation. The words are not literal, but it captures the better idea. It says, let no man remain, let no debt remain outstanding. So that's a good interpretation of what these words mean. Owe no one anything just means don't have a debt remaining outstanding. And in any area, it says, in anything. Like, and it just, in verse 7, it talked about respect and taxes and revenue and honor. Don't owe anyone those things. Don't be like holding back respect from someone. Give it to them. Don't hold back your taxes because of whatever you might feel. Owe it, you owe it to them, so pay it back. And so then when owe no one anything is said here, it seems like a blanket statement. Never be indebted in any way to anyone. Except. The word except comes in almost to pop the balloon. Almost as a shocker because owe no one anything seems so dramatic and so universal that you think, I got it. Never be indebted. And then there's an exception clause. What's the exception? Well, except to love each other. There is a debt that should be ongoing. A debt that you should never say, I've repaid it. That I have completed this. I have loved enough. I have done enough to love my neighbor. Check. That is an ongoing debt that should always remain. That you should always feel indebted to love your neighbor more and more and more. Almost like the interest is compounding. You, you should love them in a way where you feel like you're never done loving them. You should owe no one anything except love. 
And love to each other. Love to those around you first uh, in your, your family, then in your church family, then in your community. Love them. O- owe them love. Feel obligated to love them at all times. Let that debt remain unpaid. Keep paying it. So no, owe no one anything except to love each other for... The one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. How would this love fulfill the law, and why does it even matter? Because Jesus, we know in Matthew 5, 17, that he said he came to fulfill the law. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus says, I've not come to do away with the law. I've not come to disregard the the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. And so all the prophecies, he said, I've fulfilled them. I've I've proved them true. And and the law, I've also proved it true, that it is good and perfect and acceptable. And this is what it means to be righteous before God. I've fulfilled that. I have done all of those things. Everything the law pointed to, whether it was a shadow, a picture, a requirement, a righteousness, I've fulfilled it. I have done that completely. I have perfectly performed the law in every regard so that Jesus can be the only one without sin. He has fulfilled the law. And we're so glad for that. Because if if Jesus had messed up on one little thing, he would not have been a sufficient savior. He would have been tarnished like you and like me, and we would be still waiting for the Messiah. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to get rid of it altogether, but instead to fulfill it, showing that the law of God was good in its purpose. What fulfilling does not mean is you fulfilling it like Jesus. That you are going to perfectly fulfill it, or that you just count on Jesus fulfilling the law, and so you say, never mind, I don't have to do a thing. Look it, Jesus fulfilled the law. Don't you get it? I can live how I, how I want. That's not what it means. And here, what it means to fulfill the law would be that you are to properly perform the law. You're to do what the law requires. So why does it matter? Why should you fulfill the law? Because you performing the law or you fulfilling the law, you doing what God asks, is a display of God's saving and sanctifying work in you. He is displaying the fact in you that he has called you and saved you. And he's displaying the fact that he is shaping you to be more like him, to be righteous, to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. And so when you are properly performing the law, when you're fulfilling the law, you say yes to God all the time. Then you are living the life that is showing, putting on display how God transforms sinners. That's what the gospel is all about, is God transforming sinners, calling them from darkness to light, from death to life, from disobedient to obedient, from haters of God to lovers of God. And so this is a fulfillment. This is showing what God is doing in you if you fulfill the law, if you pursue this on an ongoing basis. You're displaying the work of God in your life when you desire to fulfill the law. Fulfilling the law does not get you in God's good book. It's not like he will be won over to like you if you fulfilled the law better than the person sitting next to you. Oh, you've done those ten things? Well, you're up in my books. That's not how the law works with God. 
He will not be won over because we know that our, our, our sin debt and our record that's against us is not checked off and, and erased every time we do something good. Some people will believe that system, right? The whole balance scale. Well, well, I'll just do enough good deeds to kind of outweigh the bad things. The more good I do, the more God's going to forget those bad things or just seem to erase them. No, God will never justify you. He will never clear your record of debt by any good that you have done. It says in Galatians chapter 2, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Fulfilling the law does not save, but you cannot meet a lawless Christian. You will not meet a true believer who purposefully and openly disobeys God and his commands. That person is not a Christian. Who willingly, openly, repetitively, habitually carries on sinning against God and saying, I don't need the law, I don't need to obey God. You will not meet a lawless Christian in that way. It says in 1 John chapter 3, strong warnings, Beginning of verse 4, it says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who uh, keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Here's some hard words. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And and you know what seed does, right? It it grows. It grows into something. For, For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The person who says, it doesn't matter if I obey the law because Jesus came, and they just desire to make a practice of sinning and disregard what God has said is right and wrong and disregard ultimately the glory of God, they, in fact, are not a Christian. It says they are still a child of the devil. That is a damning thing, a a terrifying thing. Because God came, it said, into the world to destroy the works of the devil. A person who who is born of God is going to begin to bear fruit of God. And that is not going to be continual, habitual, um, an an easiness with sin. It's not going to be there. And so a person who says, well, we don't need the law because Jesus has fulfilled it, has missed it altogether. Because... The one who submits to God's law loves God. Romans chapter 8 tells us in 7 and 8, it says, For the mind that's set on the flesh, if if you're just set on doing what you desire, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Rebelling against and and, um, living in disobedience of God's law is hostility towards him, not pleasing, not loving. 
On the other end, so, so not obeying God's law and, and rejecting God's law and, and being okay with lawlessness and sinfulness, it, it shows that a person is not really in Christ. On the positive light, Jesus says the opposite, which is great. He says in John chapter 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. So, not just like uh, avoidance of, of uh, lawlessness, but, but, but love for Christ. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he loves me. He loves me. And I, I love him and I'll, I'll make myself manifest to him. It says in 1 John 5, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So a believer found in Jesus does not disregard the law because the law is is good for us. It is a schoolmaster for us. It is the guideline, the boundary to say, this is what God thinks is good and moral and right. And so how do we submit to that then and say yes to God at all times? And so we want to be people who do submit to the law, not because it saves us, not because it will ever justify us or make us good before God, But we do it because it is part of the fruit of God in us. God in us and the Holy Spirit in us is never going to produce lawlessness. It's never going to produce something that says, I hate God's law. God does not hate his own law. And so if the Holy Spirit is in you, it's always going to agree with the law of God. And so when you ever feel any impulse to say no to God's law, that's the flesh and not the Holy Spirit of God. And so then we as believers, we say Yes to God when he calls us to do something. And so, again, it says here, we owe no one anything except to love each other. For this fulfills the law. So when we read the words in the New Testament that that you're doing something that is fulfilling the law, you pay attention. You say, this seems to say something incredible. That, that I'm to be a person who has short accounts on this earth and that I'm to not be not repaying people forever. But to love people is a debt that should go um, continually forever and never be uh, ended. And so it says, and it gives an idea of what this means to love the neighbor for to love others that is fulfilling the law. Verse 9 says it in the negative light. This is what is kind of keeps us away from not loving others. Verse 9 says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And you can see how those, if you did those things, if you committed adultery and murdered and, and, and stole from people and you coveted, you can see how that does not love people. How that's not a loving act. For you to commit adultery is not loving to your own spouse, and it's not loving to the person you're committing adultery with. It's not loving to your neighbors. It's not loving to anyone. Committing adultery is a solely selfish act. And love, as we know, is not self-seeking, 1 Corinthians tells us. Love seeks the, the good and the best of others. And so adultery is not love on any Regards. And so a person who says, well, I fell out of love with this person and now I'm in love with this person, they don't understand love. Um, because love is not self-seeking and they only do it for selfish motives. So adultery is not loving. And murder, of course, is not loving. And stealing, well, that's plain as day. That it's not loving either. For you to take what is not yours, you don't love the other person. 
And to covet is not loving either. But these are not just the only commands that it says, okay, if you've got that, then you love someone. If you haven't killed them, and you haven't committed adultery, and you have not stolen from them, then you love them. That's, that's enough. Well, no, he, he goes further and he says, and any other commandment. All the commandments. He says, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How are these commandments then a display of hatred if you do not do them? These four plus any other commandment, if you do not do them, it is a, not a display of love, but a display of hatred, first off, toward God. Because God said these are good and you should walk in them. Here are my commandments, walk in them. And you don't, then you don't love God. Because you're, you're not concerned about what pleases God, you're concerned about what pleases you. So when you sin against God, you're, you're not loving God well. But here it says, these commands with other commands, you have to think about your neighbor. And so at the end of verse 9, it says, this is, it's all summed up in this one sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting because many people will say, well, what if, what if I don't love myself, so therefore I don't know how to love my neighbor? I've got to do some self-love first or some self-care. Um, it is a natural instinct to preserve yourself. So that, you don't need to learn how to self-love and have like a real appreciation. Like even people who do not appreciate themselves, who have a low self-esteem, still love themselves. They still love themselves. Even a person who takes their own life still loves themselves because they think that will make them feel better or, or they will make whatever go well. They're thinking about self. So they have self in mind, number one. Everyone does instinctively, uh, sinfully, but instinctively we have self as number one. And so when it says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, it doesn't mean in the same way you love yourself. Like, well, if you take care of yourself and you really um, speak well of yourself, then that's how you're to love your neighbor. No, even a person who does not speak well of himself um, can love their neighbor in a way that God desires, and that is put them first. You love yourself first. And so this commandment says, put your neighbor first. Everywhere that you would put yourself and everything that you desire for yourself, put your neighbor there. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. It's amazing because every blessing that we desire, whether it's temporal on this earth, everything we desire for ourselves or spiritual, we're supposed to desire that first for our neighbor. When you pray or ask or even pursue things in your own life, you're living your life to fulfill what you want. And so this command says, live your life pursuing what you want in someone else's life. If you want job security, make sure others have job security. If you want a nice vacation, make sure others have, your neighbor has a nice vacation. If you want to have a growing and loving relationship with Jesus, make sure your neighbor has a growing and loving relationship with Jesus. Like, be concerned for them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything you would desire for you, desire it for them first. Think of them first. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is not self-seeking, right? And so, love then would think of other people First, and so when we're to love our neighbor as ourself, we're to put them first. Consider not your own, but consider them. So then we must ask, well, as did uh, people in the in Scripture, they asked Jesus, well, who then is my neighbor? Here's the account in, in, found in Luke chapter 10. 
And behold, a lawyer stood up, Luke 10, 25. A lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, listen to this question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with the story of the Samaritan. He says, A man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. They didn't love him. They stole from him. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he had come to the place, saw him, and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever you spend, I will repay when I come back. Hear those words? Whatever you spend, I will repay. I will keep paying as much as necessary for this neighbor. I'll repay when I come back. And then he asks this this, uh, lawyer, he says, "Uh, Which of these three do you think has proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you were in a ditch, you would hope someone would stop and help you. If you couldn't care for yourself, if you were um, sick and unwell, you would hope someone would care for you. And so it's pretty straightforward how some circumstances look like how you're supposed to love your neighbor. What you desire for you, you would hope you can do for others. But it's more than just doing the positive things like helping a person out of a ditch or, or buying someone a coffee or whatever it may be. Loving your neighbor, yes, is all these positive things. Help them with the fence, shovel their driveway, wipe off their car, um, serve at a homeless shelter. Whatever it may be, there's all these positive experiences of what it means to love the neighbor. All the things that you would hope someone would do for you in your situation. But verse 10 goes beyond that. It says, Love not only does these positive things, it doesn't only just show affection and and great desire for them. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. It doesn't just put it positively. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because you're not going to do yourself wrong. We get that. But it goes further. Don't do wrong to them. Love refuses to do wrong. and And it refuses to desire wrong of a neighbor. If you have a desire for your neighbor to, to fail or to be punished or hurt or whatever it may be that you would not want for yourself, you are not loving them and you are doing them wrong and therefore not fulfilling the law. Love does no wrong to the neighbor. Therefore, love, true love, is fulfilling of the law. So this is the debt that is owed This is the exception to the don't forget to repay. This is that great exception. Owe no one anything except 
to love each other. And where does that begin and where does that end? Well, Jesus lays the rules for that. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Love does not have a a, uh, criteria as to who you can love and who you are justified not to love. We are to love as we would expect to be loved. We would expect to be loved by those, and loved not even like cherished and, and whatever, but just taken care of. Just appreciated as a, as a human being, someone made in the image of God. And we as Christians have all the more reason to love another human being because we know what they are made of. We know that they were made in the image of God, designed to reflect His glory, but broken by the fall, broken in their sinfulness. We, above all people, know what situation they're in. They might not even recognize or see or behold the, the darkness of their heart, the, the plight they're in, but we, who have had our eyes open, our hearts enlightened, we can love them with a love that is beyond even how they can love themselves. A person may not for themselves desire the forgiveness of sins and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your neighbor may may not think they need that, but you in loving them can desire that for them. You can pursue that for them. You can put uh, things in their path, the conversations you may have, examples you may lead, bridges you may build, charity you may give. All these things so that you can love them in a way that may they might, might not even love themselves. Because this is what reflects the heart of God. This is what reflects the, the law. All of it is summed up in the words, love your neighbor as yourself. Love them in a way that you would want to be loved. Love them as first in this life. Obviously, Jesus is first, right? Jesus gives the command, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then your neighbor... And then yourself. So then, who is my neighbor? The, the parable there of the Samaritan gives one idea of just a proximity thing. Well, the Samaritan happened to come along, and because he cared for this man, he was his neighbor. But your closest neighbor is your family, your spouse, your children. That's who your closest neighbor is. And so then, are you loving them as yourself? Are you loving them ahead of yourself? Are you desiring for them more than you desire for you? Love your neighbor, starting with your spouse and your kids. And then you have neighbors who live next door. You have a community in which you live. You have extended family. If we all, the hard thing is oftentimes people imagine like the church is the thing that's supposed to evangelize, like the, the community. Well, the church is just made up of people, right? And so then if everyone did well to love their neighbor, you would actually cover the area in which you live versus some institution, some name on a sign, them being the ones who have one little drop of impact there or one little event here. Like that does not do well to love our neighbors. A church cannot love their neighbors well. But the church, people, the body of Christ can love their neighbors well on an individual basis. You might not be able to love another person's neighbor well because you're not in their life. You don't have those established connections. You don't know what might be good for them. But their neighbor does. And so then we can encourage and help one another. If you say, well, my neighbor needs X, Y, or Z. They're in great need, and I want to tell them about Jesus, but they don't even have running water. They don't even have food on the table. Like, Can you help me? Help my neighbor so we can take them food and Jesus? 
That's how a church loves their neighbor. But loving of the neighbor is an individual Christian's job. It's not an institution's job. And that's our job this morning is to love our neighbor as ourself. This is the debt that we are to owe. Never to say, I've done enough. I have fulfilled my duty. I can retire. Other debts you may pay off, and we should pay off. We should not be indebted to anyone. But we are to be indebted to love our neighbors like we owe it to them. And why would we do that? Why would we think we owe them a love? Is it that they are really owed something because they've done something good? No. In the same way that you were not owed a drop of love from Christ. It's by grace. It's by grace that you love your neighbor. They do not deserve it. They have not earned it. They have not sought it. But by grace, you extend to them the love they do not deserve. And in so doing, you display the gospel. You begin to display what is true in your heart. This is what Jesus has done for me. I did not deserve love, and he has loved me anyways. So let me just show that to you. You, you haven't asked for this love. You haven't done anything to deserve this love. You might not. I hope you don't say that to your neighbor uh, when it comes to your love. You can tell them that about Jesus' love, but not yours. Don't tell them, you don't deserve my love, but I'm going to build your fence anyway. Uh, don't vocalize it. You may think it, and that's okay. Build your fence anyways. But reality is it begins to show what is true and truly transforming in your heart. That, that you know the love of God. And you love because he first loved you. And you love with a love that is godly. You love with a love that is different and distinct from the world. A love of the world is so self-seeking. The, the love that the world understands is me first. That's love in their mind. Every TV show displays love as self-seeking. Every magazine, every advertisement is all about self-love. It's all about you are number one. Well, wouldn't it be great if we could love our neighbors as ourselves by putting them above us because we have experienced the love of God? Because God's love for us has not been because we deserve it or earned it, but we've been transformed by the grace of God so that we might extend the grace of God in love, in practicality, not through just positive things, but also through not doing them wrong, wishing them wrong, hoping them wrong. Helping them to avoid wrong. That's our job as neighbors. So that in our bridge building, in our, in our relationship building, we can say things about the love of God for us. Things about how God has cared for us. Things about how God takes care of us. Because that's what we want to be able to tell them. Is God takes care of you. God will love you. God will not just love you with some superficial love. God will love you with an everlasting, a steadfast love that will not be shaken. A love that will not be taken away by any circumstance, by any selfish person. God's love will never be removed from the one that he has bestowed it upon. And so we want to be people who are able to understand that ourselves. We love because he first loved us. Do do you understand the love of God towards you? That's the only way you're going to be a good neighbor. And that's why the law is even brought in here. The law of God was, was a display of his love for his people. He wanted them to be within these bounds. He wanted them to know what was right and what was wrong and what, what pleased him because the things that please God are, are good for his people. God loves us through giving us boundaries. You love your children when you give them boundaries. So God has done the same for you and me. And so when we are people who say, I want to stay in those boundaries, we're beginning to really understand the love of God. That he set those in place for me so that I might know what is righteousness and what is not. So that I might know what pleases him and what looks like him and what does not. And so then we want to be people who say, I'm not going to dismiss the law. If something says I'm going to fulfill the law, 
I'm going to ask hard questions of it, and I'm going to pursue it, because I want to display the heart of God in myself and in my life. And that here says that is through an ongoing love of neighbor, a debt that forever it carries on. What a, it's interesting, right? Because you think of a, an unending debt and you would think, oh, what an obligation, what a duty. But the debt is love. And it's because God's steadfast love towards us is never-ending. It's new every morning, right? Think about that on yourself. You think, aren't you glad that God has never stopped loving you, that he didn't say, that was enough? I gave you Jesus. That was the height of my love. Now, you're not going to feel my love. I'm not going to express my love to you. I'm not going to care for you like I love you. Could you imagine if, if God just said, my love is complete, and therefore... You now live a loveless relationship with God. That, that would not happen. That, that you can't comprehend that in God because that's not who God is. God is love and God will manifest his love as Jesus said. So then we take that on and say, I want to do that the best that I can by God's grace with his help because I'm selfish. I put me first. I love me first. I love myself more than my neighbor. And so then the only way we're ever going to do this is when we're transformed repeatedly by the love of God, when we realize that how God has loved us so that we can love others and share the gospel with them, that we can tell them about the love that Jesus has toward them at the cross, that he, would, that he would take away their sin, that he would cause them to have life everlasting. That man who asked Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? It was interesting that Jesus said, well, do you know what, what the law says? And he summed it up well. Love God and love others. Okay, was that enough to inherit eternal life? No, it wasn't. Loving God and loving others. There's lots of people who, quote-unquote, love God. And there's lots of people who, quote-unquote, love their neighbors. And there's people who probably love their spouse better than you love your spouse, who don't even love Jesus. There's people who love their neighbors and care for their neighbors better than you care for your neighbors. And they don't love God. So is that really a, a, a way that you can say, I know for certain that... Jesus loves me? Well, no, it's not. That's why you walk in faith. That's why we come to God in our faith and we trust in him as we understand his love for us. We look to him on repeat and on repeat. That's why we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. A love I did not deserve, a love that is mine because of the steadfast covenantal love of God. That's what we look to in the Lord's Supper. As, as he says, as often as you take this, as often as you do this, like you're remembering something. Well, what are you remembering? Not just a physical suffering and a physical death. You're remembering much more than that. You're remembering the covenant that God made with you. A covenant where he says, I will love you with an everlasting love. I will put myself in you and I will be your God and you will be my people. That is what we remember when we remember the gospel. And, and it's displayed to us in the Lord's Supper. It's displayed to us in, in the Bible. It's displayed to us in, in true and genuine fellowship where you and I care for each other's souls. That's where we get this on repeat so that we understand that God has never stopped loving us so that we can be encouraged to never stop loving others for the sake of Jesus. Let's pray that he would produce this in us. God, you are an amazing God, a God who is unapproachable, a God who is holy, holy, holy. You, God, are perfect in all of your ways. You are ever-present 
You are everlasting. You are unlike anything we can imagine. And yet as people, we have sinned against you. We have we've hated you. We've disregarded you. We've loved ourselves above you. We, we have not done well to look to our creator. Instead, we look to creation. And so God, we are a people who need forgiveness. We have a record of sin that stands against us. And so we need that forgiven. And so we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom we are the foremost. Thank you, God, for this gospel. Thank you that there is a love that is not just completed when you did step one, but your love that is continual, your love that flows into our life because of your covenant and what it displays about who you are. God, we want to be people who know this love well and extend this love to others so that you might receive the glory from our lives. God, we ask that you would do this and produce this kind of fruit in us Display your gospel, display your love in and through us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.